how many of you know that we are living, um, we are rolling in to one crisis, to another, to another, to another, and those are globally, but they affect us locally. And here's what I want you to know as we begin to talk about provision. In crisis is where we often make directional choices. We make choices all the time, but not all choices are directional. Some are just, you know, benign in the sense that they're just a choice. We can choose A or B, and it doesn't really matter. But in crisis, oftentimes we make directional choices. And I want to promise you these words, that in crisis, we are all together going through rolling crisis after another. I promise you in crisis that there is an invitation for God to trust him deeper as you go through a crisis. In every crisis, there is an invitation from God. In every crisis, there is an invitation from God. It is not going to be as loud as the crisis that you're going through, but it's there and it's present. Yet here's the challenge. In every crisis, there are alternative invitations that you and I, if we accept them, by our words, by our choices, by our behaviors, by going in a direction, they also are these bidding invitations for you and I to trust or to place our trust in things that are not necessarily God and God's heart for us. And so when choosing to ex which accept invitation to accept, here's what is often the defining factor for us. It comes down to this. What we believe will best provide for us is usually the strongest determining factor in which one we'll choose. Which one we believe will provide for us will create a season or an umbrella of provision in our lives. This is usually a strong determining factor. And one of the ways that God sovereignly chose to reveal himself to humanity is as provider. God is. Everyone say God is. God is Jehovah Jireh. The name means he is the God who provides. And so sometimes the problem with provision is precisely this. If God is Jehovah Jireh, then why do so many of his kids struggle? This oftentimes is the problem when we begin to talk about provision. For us to grow in trusting who God is, his ways of provision need to be tested. And this, again, brings us to this problem when discussing provision that we can't go around. We must address it. The truth of my life and yours is this, is that nobody comes to God as a blank slate. Every single one of us come to God already, even if you have grown up in church. Every one of us has already accepted alternative invitations when it comes to where we are placing our hope, our trust, and our faith, which means that all of our beliefs regarding provision have a mix of three elements. Number one, God provides. He said his name is Jireh, the God who provides. And here's what is true. It doesn't matter whether I agree or disagree. God is above me. And who he says he is matters not what I curse, what I bless, what I say. Who he is is defined by who he is. And so if I choose to live saying that is not who you are, then I am choosing to live into a false narrative. God is provider. So all of our lives, though, God provides, the enemy steals, 
and we make choices. All of our beliefs surrounding provisions have those three elements. God provides, he is Jehovah Jireh, the enemy steals, and we make choices. Sometimes our lives are impacted not by the choices that we make, but by the choices perhaps that somebody else made that affects our provision, that affects our worldview, that affects our current season and situation in life. And if we, wish to go, if we wish to grow deeper in trusting God, to accept his invitation, and particularly in crisis and loved ones in church, if we do not accept the invitation to trust God deeper in a season of crisis like we find ourselves in rolling from one crisis to another, whether it's in the church or in the world, crisis and crisis, if we do not accept the invitation of God in this season to trust him deeper, we will be led away by alternative invitations that will not lead us where we desire to go. But if we wish to trust God by growing deeper in this season, it always requires a change of perspective. How many, okay, so those of you who are online, just play along right now by engaging with your heart, but online. Those of you in the room, okay, I'm gonna ask you a very basic question. How many of you agree that we are all in this room together right now? Can I see your hands, please? Some of you don't agree with that. It's totally fine. I don't know where you think you are. We are all in a singular room right now in this moment. If you're, if you're joining us online, you're in your room, we're in ours. But we're doing this together. We're all in one room. Yet how many of you know in this precise moment, your perspective is different than my perspective? Like if I was to ask you, what do you see? You may describe everything going on behind me, including me. Yet if you were to ask me, what I see in this moment is people sleeping. <laughs> Give me a nudge. No. What I see is from a completely different perspective. Like if I was to be a loving pastor right now and just say to one of you, we're just going to change pla trading spaces. We're just going to change places right now. I'm going to come sit in your seat and you're going to come stand in mine. How many of you go, that's not, that's not, you've got all the notes you need. Away you go. So, you have a perspective, and I want you to see from my perspective, but how many of you know there's a third perspective, whether you're online or whether you're in the room, and that's God's perspective. So, you can see what you can see, and you can focus on anything, including me. I can see what I can see, which I can look at any single one of you at any given time, or all of you, which is none of you at once. But God, God alone sees you and knows you intimately and thoroughly. So God sees what none of us can see. God knows your heart, your thoughts. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did on Tuesday, good or bad. He knows the motivation of why you're doing what you're doing. And so when Jesus comes to earth, he puts on a master class of not just having us see what we see and you see what I see, that's important. But oftentimes Jesus is trying to show us this is what God sees. And for us to understand provision, we're never gonna understand who God is 
just looking at life through how we see it. We have to arrive at, God, how do you see life? And then from there, that gives context to how we see life. Jesus affirms, watch, he's going to affirm our value to God. He's going to acknowledge how God understands what we need because he's Jehovah Jireh. But then he's going to invite us into a deeper trust relationship, and it starts with an adjustment of perspective. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6 during his Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. So the birds of the air walk by, obey none of the principles of God's word. That's what Jesus essentially said here. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks this question, are you not of more value than they? And the answer is yes, not because he's not an animal lover, but because birds are not created in the image and likeness of God, only humans are. Therefore, he says, do not be anxious, don't worry, don't be fearful, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And Jesus affirms, we worry, we have fear, we have anxiety about all of these things. Jesus gets why we're afraid. He's not dismissive at all, but then he goes on to say, your heavenly father knows. Your heavenly father has an intimate understanding of who you are as a human being. Heavenly Father knows that you need all of them, but here's the invitation, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You will never understand that God is Jireh if you put everything else first. This is what Jesus is saying. Until you, unless you adjust your perspective and put God first, none of this will make sense. In fact, if you don't put God first, you will grow to believe that he is not Jaira. He doesn't care for you, and he is, he is distant or dismissive to what it is you're going through. All the things that Jesus just said, our Father is not. See, here's the rub. Do you view provision? Do I view provision through the lens of your plans? or God's purpose. Two different equations there. And when we are really pressed, here's what we experience in life, is that God provides equally, just not always evenly. God provides equally, but just not always evenly. Because there are different assignments on our lives. We all have a destiny. We all have a divine purpose, every single one of us, but our purpose may be different. And it may then require different levels of provision. There are some in the sound of my voice, whether it's here or at home, that even the provision of your life is different because of a generation before you, good or bad. Remember, our belief around provision is God is provider, the enemy steals, and then there's choices in the midst of it. And isn't it always like the enemy, that whenever we struggle, God gets all the blame? But sometimes it's this soup of all of these things that are occurring in our hearts and lives that we need to understand. God provides equally. Every single one of us has the same amount of hours, the same amount of minutes, the same amount of seconds every single day. Every single human on breathing on the planet Earth who since the moment Christ came until now has the same offer of salvation, the same offer of grace, invitation of grace, the same access to truth, same power of God. But how many know there's also powers and principalities? We have the same access to community one with another. 
Every one of us, this is all identically equal, that God provides each of us with what we need to fulfill our purpose in life. I believe this with my whole heart, that God provides every single one of us what we need to fulfill his purpose for our lives. But when it comes to God's purpose and my plans, there's always a gap. There's always a space that God may provide everything I need to fulfill his purpose in my life, but I want more than that. I want it all. I want to engage all in it. And this gap is often filled by a deepening trust in who God is or a widening mistrust about God's nature and his character. Provision in our lives can be uneven due to decisions others have made that affect us greatly. I was very cognizant back in 2007. 2007? Was that the date? It came out of my mouth and it felt like a long time ago. When I became lead pastor, was it 2007? I believe it was. 15 years? Is that? I can't do the math. I'm not good at maths. But I was very cognizant of the fact that saying yes, that I was building on and with the work of a prior generation. I talk with some of my pastor colleagues. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just saying they haven't had that revelation yet. So when they walk in, it's almost like, well, it's my vision. You're already walking into an established vision. And here's the beautiful thing. The sacrifices of a generation previous to my leadership enabled me to come into a continuing vision and build upon it. Yeah, make some mistakes along the way, but to build upon it. Now, how many of you know that's very different from someone who this year is planting a church from scratch? They're in a different season. Not better, not worse, just different. There are some of you that your grandparents made decisions that you have benefited from provisionally in your life. And there are some of you that your grandparents made decisions that have made life incredibly difficult for you. Generationally, things have occurred. So provision can be uneven due to decisions others made that affect us greatly. Decisions that we have made in the past that show up in the present. That can affect the way in which we view provision. There's an enemy who robs, kills, and destroys again. And sometimes the enemy has legal access to an area in our life where we have accepted an alternative invitation, and it doesn't matter how much you shout until that door is closed, he keeps coming in. He robs, he kills, and he steals, and he destroys. And once again, our plan is different from God's purpose. And so we need clarity in a situation. If I say this name, if you know this name, can I see your hands, please? Billy Graham. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't know who that is. It's amazing. Billy Graham and Jason Boucher have very different purposes on their lives. Do you know what that means? They have profoundly different provisions. No, 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 not from the place of equality and everything that God provides, but the call on Billy's life is quite different than the call on my life. And so the provision that God got to him is different than the provision in my life. And here's what is true. If all I do is fix my eyes on, the, on Billy Graham's provision, all I will see is that which is uneven. 
And if all I can see is that which is uneven, I will never access everything that God has for me. Because all I'm concerned about is why is he blessing you? Why is he doing this in your life? I'm better than, I know I'm better than them. I'm not saying I'm better than Billy Graham right now. I'm just hypothetically now into our shoes together. Like, God, why are, why are you blessing them? They're not even obedient. I know they're not obedient to their word. And why are you blessing them? I know none of us struggle with this, but we need to get this message to churches <laughs> with Christians who really do struggle with this. You need to bless, you need to share this link. They need you. They need you. If I stare long enough, at your provision, I'll lose sight of what God is providing me. And the symptom that this happens is I will be robbed of peace and contentment, which unhealed will cause me to believe that God isn't who he says he is. That I will begin to redefine God as something other than Jireh. And so sometimes we don't see God as provider because we have an inverted perspective we focus on the uneven and we lose sight of the equal portion of God's provision. And the antidote is then focus on what God has entrusted to you and steward it obediently. Never mind what he has provided somebody else. You steward 100% of what he's given to you and watch what God will do. You cannot steward what he's given to someone else. You can't steward it if they have different gifts, if they have different capacities, all those things. That's not your problem or issue. Another way, though, that we can struggle to see God as provider is because we live through a paradox. And a paradox, as you know, is God is calling us to hold two truths equally which seem contradictory. We all live through paradoxical moments and seasons in our lives where, for example, God is Jehirah, he is provider, but I can't find a job. You're living through a paradox, two opposing things, and the enemy will come and whisper in your ear that one can be true, but the truth is both of them are true. You may not have a job, and God is Jehovah Jireh. God is healer, and somebody dies. You're living through a time of a paradox. We are holding two things that are equally true. And oftentimes as brothers and sisters and followers of Christ, as we, we want to rush people to hold on to one thing without holding on to both things. That when someone comes to us that is grieving, it is not the time to figure out why and all of those things. We just grieve with them. Because they are walking through a paradox of learning to trust deeper. God, you are who you say you are, and this happened, and I don't understand it. God, you're provider, and I don't have a job. And I'm trying to work out. You're provider. What are the choices that I have to make in this? Where's the enemy robbing and stealing? Where choices making? In the soup of this, God, you are moving. And I'm trying to hold these two things as true. Luke chapter 21, verses 16 and 19 says, Jesus said this, paradox, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of them will put you to death. That is profoundly, profoundly painful that those who should have loved you and cared for you the most will turn on you. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But then Jesus says these things, but not a hair on your head will perish. Pardon me? How can those two things be true? 
you delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of them will put you to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Lovely. But not a hair on your head will perish. How am I dead? And not a hair on my head. Is Jesus nuts? Does he not understand? Oh no, he understands intimately, doesn't he? Because everything that he is saying is going to happen to him. He says this, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. How can you be hated and put to death and not a hair on your head will perish or be placed together? In this? How can those things be placed together in the same sentence? Again, it's, it's a paradox. It is holding two things equally true. Not a hair on your head will perish. Jesus is, of course, speaking about eternal truth that how in Christ, even if you need to endure suffering and all bunch of hard things, that these are only temporal things. They're not eternal things. So if you view God only from the perspective of provision here and now, you are not seeing the fullness of what life is, but just a blimp and a glimpse of it. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's calling them to endure. If you want to read a book on suffering, read the book of 1 Peter. The whole book is all about suffering. In 1 Peter, he shares how as believers, nothing can ultimately harm them if they continue to walk in God's path. And the pain that we experience now is real, absolutely, but it is temporary. And followers of Jesus will be vindicated when he returns. And suffering in our present life is not the result of God punishing us. Suffering in this present world is not the result of God punishing you. The disciples and Jesus himself suffered and they suffered because of their faithfulness. And God never punishes people in this life from a stance of how dare you or how awful are you. No, but God does discipline in us in this life from a posture of love and care for you. And this is a huge difference, beloved when living through a paradox, a temptation, once again, is to lose sight of the eternal by overly focusing on the temporary, the here, the now, the pain of loss, the pain of what it is that you're going through. And this is real. But notice Jesus said the key is faithfulness. It is endurance. See your next step. Yes, but get your head up. Get your chest up. Get your head up. Look to something that is beyond what it is that you're going through. The enemy wants you to look only inward or at other people. The enemy wants you to be a two-perspective follower of Christ. Your perspective or their perspective. Because then you can live in right, wrong, division the rest of your life. And there's enough ammunition in this space to occupy you for the rest of your days. But God is inviting you and I to a three-perspective life. Yes, my perspective. Yes, your perspective. But ultimately, see life from God's perspective. See life to who he is. Look up, look anchored there. And see the long haul, not just the short term. See, some of you who struggle with generosity, this is the perspective that you're lacking. You have a now perspective, not an eternal perspective. Because if you understand the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that actually you're not the provider of your own life, God is, then you can entrust yourself to him and know that he will prove himself faithful. When living through a paradox, this is what is key. Fix your focus on the eternal finish line. And as we close today, which means absolutely nothing, 
That was a joke. So far, we've focused on the individual, but here's what I want you to know, loved ones. God has saw fit for us to all be alive at such a time as this. Living into rolling crisis after crisis after crisis. And so, do you know what this says to me? If God has chose all of us to be living at such a time as this, then we are the salt and light for such a time as this. That we should count ourselves blessed to go through this trial and crisis season. Because there is provision in it for us, individually, yes, but also for the church at large. A crisis can be an invitation from God, by the way, to an entire church community, an entire city, an entire nation. God doesn't only disciple individuals, He disciples nations, He disciples cities. Nothing is too difficult for our God. You know, one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again that I wish to challenge in this moment as we keep moving, I've heard so many followers of Jesus in the last few years say these statements to me. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And you're true. That's a true statement. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. True statement. The counter to that statement is this. You do need to belong to a church if you want to become more like Jesus. Not just if you want to go to heaven, but if you want to become more like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus belonged to community. Imperfect one. I mean, look at his followers. They didn't have it all together, just like us. But I also want to say this to some of you who have that belief if you're watching online. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Get your head up. Look bigger than you. The building that we're in, the campuses that we have, once again, how small is it to only think about your life and the end of your life and that's all that matters and to not see something larger for another generation to come? Don't you know that all of our faithfulness, all of our yes, all of our obedience, no, we can't say yes for them. We can't pass all the tests for them, but we can pass ours that can, they can have an inheritance that is different from where we started. Here's what I know. 40 years into Life Center's journey, we aren't where we once were, but we're not yet where God has us to be. But everywhere along the line, every generation has to be faithful to say yes to the call of God on their generation. If I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, again, how small is that thinking rather than thinking, wow, God has part me as a part of the body and I can belong to a local body and I can use all that God has given me to build something greater than I received it for the next generation, to take it further than I could ever dream or imagine. Who gets up in the morning with a vision that simply says, I don't have to. That's not a great vision. I have the privilege and the honor to choose to is a vision. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do any of those things. You have the access through the work of the cross. You have the honor to have access to the presence of God, to pray anywhere, at any time. Lift up your heart to God. Wow! You can download an app on your phone that has the whole of Scripture on it and concordances. Wow! 
I am so grateful that there are men and women of God who wrote concordances to help me understand scriptures that make no sense to me when I read them. I am so grateful for men and women of God who speak Hebrew. I'm reading the cat in the hat version. They're reading Hebrew. Wow. In Revelation, there are seven churches planted in seven geographical regions, and each, each of them have equal access to the gospel. But each region that they live in has equal temptation from the enemy. How many of that there are different temptations living in different regions or parts of the world? The West is very different from the East. So there are unique cultural pressures that we experience that other nations experience different ones. And one of the churches is in Smyrna. And they are living in this paradox place, focusing on their next step while keeping their eyes fixed on an eternal prize. And here's what Jesus says to this church. Not to the person, to the church. I know your tribulation and your poverty. What does it say next? But you are? Ooh. I know you don't have much on earth. But Jesus says, you have the riches of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I want Jesus to say that I'm rich, not the government. Because when the government says you're rich, they take a lot more. <laughs> a little joke there. I want Jesus to say that you're rich in Christ-like character. You are rich in the fruit of the Spirit. You are rich in generosity. You are rich in prayer. You are rich in the depth of God's word in you that when wounded, God's word pours out, not my words pour out. I know your tribulation. I know you're going through a really hard time to the entire church. I know your poverty and the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Hello. Woo! Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's going to throw some of you into prison. Don't fear that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful, endure until death and I'll give you the crown of life. Little Smyrna, it may not look like you have much, but you are salt and light, making a Jesus-sized difference. And from you, I can do extraordinary things. Hold into the paradox. I am God who provides, and you're going to go through tribulation, but get your eyes on me and keep your eyes fixed on me and watch what I can do. There's another church in Laodicea, and its affluence has made it lukewarm. In a sense, they are a picture of a group of people in a region whose success and comfort and affluence, which they thought was provision, is actually become a snare. Some of you get your eyes on other individuals and what you think is God's provision could actually be a snare in their lives. You can't see what God is doing. A historic deception the church falls in affluence, falls prey to, is that through the power of our compassion, wisdom, technology, intellect, sophistication, we believe that we do not need God or at worst that we can control, control darkness because we're smarter and we're not. And Jesus says to this church, for you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. And then Jesus says to them these words, ah, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's a word of encouragement from Jesus. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be what? So that you may be rich, different from the way you are now. And white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes. And here's what he says, the last thing he says. So that you may see. What is Jesus saying to this church? You're not seeing it from my perspective. But I'm going to share it with you from my perspective. 
Again, Jesus implores this church to do is to see provision from God's perspective. Anoint your eyes so that you may see. So the problem with provision can affect you as an individual. Yes, in a lot of ways, we've just covered two today. The problem of provision can also affect regions too. We've also just discussed this today. God is Jehovah Jireh. The name means he is the God who provides. A problem in provision will either lead you to a deeper trust in who God is or a different definition of what you believe to be true about who God is. Whether you're here or whether you're at home, choose your invitation wisely because it will set the direction of your life. May God bless you and may he keep you. 